The Dr. Taz Show. The podcast, Dr. Taz. Superwoman Wellness. Here's Dr. Taz. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to this episode of Superwoman Wellness, where you know I'm determined to bring you back to your superpowered self. We are about to embark on a conversation that couldn't be more timely, more important than ever before. And I'm so glad that we are actually going to open this door. Joining me today is Jelani Memory. Jelani has quite a story that I'm gonna let him tell you, but he founded a kid's book about, which launched with his own book, a kid's book about racism. Growing up black in Portland, Oregon, the whitest city in America, I'd probably fight you on that one, but anyhow, Jelani defied the odds and became the most popular kid in school and was a star athlete in basketball and soccer. What started as a small passion project is now a series of books centered around important topics like racism, feminism, body image, cancer, belonging, and gratitude. The brand launches 24 new books every year and has propelled Jelani into a best-selling author. Welcome to the show. So honored to have you. I was already commenting on how your timing is impeccable Tell us what inspired this. And your first book, I think, was a kid's book about racism, correct? Yeah. Well, first, thank you for having me on the show. And, you know, it's just been a thrill, one, to have made that first book for my kids, a kid's book about racism um, for my own six children as a way to keep that conversation going in our home um, so that it didn't feel inappropriate or one they couldn't bring up that one they knew they could have openly with, with my wife and I. Um, but beyond that, to watch that book go into so many different homes, families, communities, truly all over the world as a way to kickstart that very sort of difficult but important conversation between kids five, six, seven, and eight um, and their grownups, whether that's a parent, teacher, grandma, grandpa, auntie, or uncle. And to go beyond that, and started a company around the book, really tackling these other topics like feminism or anxiety or adventure or change or death or cancer. Um, these important, challenging, empowering conversations has been remarkable. And we've been able to give this platform to a number of underrepresented individuals um, to tell their stories and to really, truly change kids' lives. Oh my gosh, what important and incredible work. I would love to know why you wrote a kid's book about racism, a little bit about your story. You know, I grew up in the South and I was, you know, one of a few of my color and kind in my school. So I know a little bit about racism and I know that you have a similar story. So tell us kind of where that book came from. And then we can talk about some of the others in just a second. Yeah. So uh, back in 2018, I, I found myself with um, six kids uh, two biological, uh, four step kids. So four white, two Brown. And, um, and we were talking about race, culture, color, and racism quite frequently. And I think as any dad would want to do for their kids, uh, I decided to take on a cool project to make a book that just exemplified the conversation that I was already having with my kids and make it just for that. So I, I, I wrote it, in a week, I designed it in a week and I printed all of one copy. That was all it was ever supposed wow. to be. Uh-huh. Um, showed it to my kids and they were the first ones that helped me understand the power of it, I think, and also the possibilities of it. So, you know, my stepkid Joy, she said, this is awesome. Can I make a book too? 
And I thought, whoa, that sure. Why not? What would you want to make a book on? And she said, I'd love to write a kid's book about divorce. Mm-hmm. And I thought, whoa. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I realized a handful of things that she had already taken my book and extended it into a series, right? A kid's book about, right? uh-huh. but she had also decided that what she would write on was an also a difficult and challenging topic to talk about. And when I asked her why she wanted to do that, she said, because I want other kids to know what it's like before they go through it, if they ever mm-hmm. have to. And, and ultimately all of our books, as we've expanded them out, act in this way of starting some of the most important conversations between grownups and kids and creating that safety and security, I think, for kids to know and to understand in a way that's appropriate for them, but doesn't restrict the conversation completely from them, which is, I think, of what a lot of adults do, mm-hmm. is they say, I'll tell you when you're older, you're not ready yet, it's not appropriate for right. you, can we talk right. about this later? Um, and the reality is, is kids are ready. Yeah. Kids, are t- kids are ready for these conversations. It's adults who, who need to sort of jettison their fear and step up to the plate and really engage with their kids where they're at. And so our books become this bridge between grownups and kids to do that. When is the right time to have some of these tough conversations? If we're, you know, I think racism and, you know, you have to be under a rock to not see the conversation emerge around racism over this last year, right? So every child was asking about it. It was in every classroom, every, you know, conversation was around that. But what is the right age? I think many people want to preserve the innocence of a child, right? You want to, or there's the reverse where you want your values to be really firmly entrenched first sure. before they go out and get information from elsewhere. When do you start having some of these tough conversations? Well, the first thing I'll qualify with is that every kid in every family is different. And, and I would never presume on another family or another kid um, what they have to do or what they have to not do. Um, so with that qualifier in place, I think it's really important that um, parents and grownups don't assume uh, more innocence or more naivete than their kids actually have. Mm. Um, So by the time kids start school and they're going to school with kids who look different from them, talk different from them, you know, have different cars, homes, shoes, um, and different skin color than them, they start to make assumptions, judgments. They start to form ideas. They start to actually have conversations around race. And so imagine as a parent deciding that you're not even going to talk about that for right. your five, six, seven-year-old, they're going to start talking with other folks about it. And often that's going to be other five, six, seven-year-olds. And so I, I sort of implore parents to go, don't you want to be a part of that conversation? And then once you're a part of that conversation, then it's what you talk about. And I'm a big fan of sort of meeting kids where they're at developmentally Um, And that means actually that a lot of these conversations start a lot sooner than you think they would. So kids as early as one and two start to ascribe judgment and um, sort of value to different skin colors, even before they can talk just developmentally, they do that. Right. Why? Um, Like why, what are we doing? What are we doing? That's making that happen. So I don't think it's actually anything we're doing at that age. Um, it's actually just, uh, a form of tribalism that ends up happening where kids who are very, very young, sort of one and two, they sort of go folks who are like me are sort of good and safe and right. And folks who are not like me are not good and safe and right. And of course, biologically, that means their family, right? You you want little kids that age to feel safe with their family. And so that means there's a few things. 
it's not that we want them to not recognize those differences. It's that we want them to start to assign the right sort of value to those differences, which means you don't judge somebody because they have different skin, but you also can recognize they have different skin. And here's what that means. And so that conversation, you know, three and four, talking about race, feeling comfortable to let kids point out race and notice it and start to have a conversation about that. And then by the time they're four five and six, then racism becomes a reality. And I say for kids of color, they are directly experiencing racism. And so that conversation often starts in families of color very early as they start to make sense of that for kids who are having negative experiences around racism. But for often white parents, they're avoiding having the conversation. And what happens when you protect your kid's innocence along with that is that they end up becoming the perpetrators of that value difference judgment, right? So they're the one touching the kid's hair, calling out the difference and saying that they're bad or calling them names, assuming that it is just playful banter or there's not a big issue right. behind it or that it's not hurtful or damaging. And my, my ask or my, my question to white parents is, would you rather have the conversation with your kid or have them be the perpetrator of that thing that you'd be horrified if you were in the room with them while they're at school or with a friend um, of them saying something as if race is not a part of their life or their everyday. Wow. And I mean, you've seen this, I've seen this, you know, and I've seen it with my children, you know, that, that knowledge or that, that sense of we're different. This is, you know, this person's this way, that person's that way starts really early. You know, can we educate our kids how to handle that? How do you handle that when you're feeling a certain way in the classroom or when you're feeling a certain way and for white parents too, how do they handle that? How do you open that door? What do you say about race? Do you just say, People are different, different colors. Everyone's equal. Is there is there a way to to get this message across? And I'm sure it's in a kid's book about racism. But is there is there a way to get this message across for a child to understand that's not just words on a you know that not just a lot of empty words that they don't understand? Yeah. So I think the first thing is is to recognize that kids are curious, they're creative, and they're very capable. Um, and and to not assume that they won't understand it if you talk with them about it, right? Um, and often for parents, it's overcoming their own fear about talking about it because we're taught as adults that talking about race or politics or religion is impolite or inappropriate. And so we cascade those down to our kids um, where kids have real questions, real thoughts, real concerns, real experiences. And so I think the place to start it is just to start with where you are at as an adult of what you know and believe. Um, I don't think I could ever ask of any more of any other parent other than to start there. Yeah. That also means that if you feel ill-equipped to go, you know what? I know people are different and I, I do believe everybody's equal, but that's about all I know is start there, but don't stop there. Keep having more conversations. Don't just assume that talking to your kid about bullying is a one-time conversation or race or racism is a one-time conversation, right? Just like Talking with your kids about sex isn't a one-time conversation. It should be an ongoing conversation when it's age appropriate, right? And right. so having that first conversation becomes a start of more conversations. And for parents who don't know a lot and don't know what to say, great. Go do your homework. Go yeah. find some materials. Go read some blogs online. Go read some books that help you get up to speed to sort of know a little bit more of what to say so that you become a learner alongside your kids. And in a lot of ways, all of our books function in that way where we hope it's the first conversation of many, and it gives parents a place to start 
And we hope that they pile on after that with more ideas, thoughts, conversations, and questions, because kids will do that too. But we don't want every parent to feel like they have to be a PhD in every topic to just talk to their kids. Like, just talk to your kids. No, you're not always going to get it perfect or right, but that's far better to start somewhere than to never start at all. And I'm guilty of this as well, like hiding my own personal experiences from my children with different issues, race. We had divorce in our, my parents got divorced. We've, you know, there've been all kinds of issues that have come up, you know, in our growing up, but hiding some of those waiting for them to get older type thing. And we'd have that conversation then. Why is that a a myth? Why is that kind of the wrong direction to, to really pursue? Yeah, we have this idea uh, that um, we're going to damage our kids if we have those conversations too early, right? Right. So we wait till later when our kids can handle it. That's what we say to ourselves. Um, The reality is, is the danger is actually the other way around. Having that conversation too late is very dangerous, right? Um, Because they will have already formed their ideas, their opinions, their values. They will have already have had experiences around that topic, right? that you haven't been able to participate in as a parent because you've decided that I'm not ready to talk about or they're not ready, right? Even though they're already sort of ruminating on it, right? So I'm a big fan of having the conversation too early instead of too late, knowing that it's actually really hard to have the conversation too early. It'll be uncomfortable for sure, but uncomfortable doesn't mean bad. And I'll give you an example. You know, um, we just did a book with Evelyn Yang on sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Every parent, that topic freaks them out. It's really hard to talk about, really uncomfortable, really hard to bring up. And when I start talking about talking with their four-year-old, their five-year-old, their six-year-old, they just go, whoa, no way. That's way too young. We'll start talking about it at 11, 12, 13, maybe, but probably not even then because it's just too too difficult. It's too emotional. It's too, you know, it'll break their innocence. And the reality is, is that um, starting the conversation then when it'll actually matter most, when it'll mean most, when it'll have the greatest impact, which is preparing the kid to understand what abuse looks like, what it doesn't look like, what kind of voice you can give a kid to speak up in a certain situation, knowing that stranger danger is the most unlikely scenario in that situation, that actually having somebody who's a family member, who's a safe person, right? And with a statistic like one in four girls will be sexually abused sometime between one to 18, then you go, you know, don't tell your kids to wear safety belts or helmets, but make sure you have that one conversation because actually this is far more likely than any of those other scenarios. And yet we get it completely backwards when it comes to having that talk with our kids. Okay. So break it down for us. You know, um, so many moms listen to this show. So many parents listen to this show. What is a roadmap? You know, age one, you've already told us somewhere between one and five, start talking racism, start having that conversation, opening that door. You know, what other conversations should we be having maybe in the preschool and early elementary years? What conversations do we start in maybe later elementary years? What are ones that we really do need to reserve to middle school? High school is probably too late for most of it, but which ones do we reserve for later? You know, look, I I don't want to pretend like I'm an expert on all of this, not by any stretch. Um, here's, Here's what I fundamentally believe is that some conversations are forced to happen because an event happens, right? Mm -hmm. Grandpa dies, right? An uncle gets cancer. 
or abuse has happened in the family or mom or dad suffer from a mental illness um, like depression or anxiety. And so it forces the conversation to the foreground where it no longer really matters what age the kid is. It's actually, it's present in their life and that kid needs some way to make sense of it, right? So having the conversation becomes really important in that context um, as opposed to pretending like it's not happening because then kids form their own ideas about that thing if parents aren't able to step in and sort of give them guidance around it. Um, uh, For our topics, for our books, we think as soon as kids start school, which is really around five or six, having really substantive conversations with them around things like empathy or, you know, uh, social interaction or race or gender um, or things like sexism become really important. And as much as they start to brush up against those things, just being outside of the home around other types of folks. Um, Every family is going to be different about when they start these conversations, how they start these conversations. But I can promise you, and I'm a parent too, right? Is that the temptation for us as parents is always to start these conversations too late. Not because our kids are uncomfortable with them. It's because we're uncomfortable with them. And in part, We have to get over that because our kids really deserve better and they deserve more out of us to lose our discomfort and to really engage with them in a meaningful way. Oh my gosh, that's so well said. I'm curious because you guys are putting out so many of these books every year. Can you tell what the top topics are, the ones that people are really grabbing for the most and really the most interested in? I'm I'm curious to see what sort of is on children's minds, parents' minds right now, more so than other topics. Yeah, sure. Well, so you can imagine it's 2020, right? So uh, a kid's book about racism is our best-selling book. Um, after that are books like um, our one on failure, uh, our book on anxiety, um, our book on empathy and gratitude. Um, uh, our book on feminism has done really, really well. Um, and then, you know, newcomers like our book that's on pre-order right now, a kid's book about addiction is doing really well. Um, what we found is, is that, you know, our average customer comes and buys three books because they see all the different conversations that can be started, the topics, and, and they sort of walk away with a handful of them to start those meaningful, important conversations with their kids. And, and it spans the gamut. And for us, we want to continue to discover authors and, uh, you know, to, to write about these topics that we think matter most. I'm curious, is everything written by the same author or do you have a range of people coming in to write about these topics? Every book is by a different person. Um, They are all from first person owned voices. um, That's really deeply important to us. They're not just academic experts. In some cases they are. And for a topic like cancer or for a topic like death, we actually have a bereavement expert who wrote on that topic. Um, But all of the books come from a very personal place where um, typically they're underrepresented individuals or folks who are speaking from their own experience with that topic and a lifetime of experience there. And for us, there's no other way we would make any of these books. Yeah. They, they have to come from a really, truly authentic place so that kids, to some extent, there's an authority there, but there's also an authenticity there that they can relate to. So I love this whole idea and this whole concept, and I know it's focused on books. Has this, I don't, I don't know what your plans are, and I apologize if I'm just uneducated, but is this a curriculum of any kind? Is this in the schools? Is this in, you know, I can see this being used like, you know, 
for a long time with my children too. I was like, why don't we have a curriculum that tackles each of these things in the school systems and begin those conversations? Many schools shy away for the same reason parents probably do too, right? They shy away from that because it's uncomfortable and you don't want to yeah. represent one view and you know all the other stuff that goes with that. But beyond the books, is there a platform for this that's uh, that's looking into maybe school systems and other places where parents and kids can congregate and gather together? So uh, that's our hope is is to continue to grow out the platform of books and to start to build curriculum around it. But what's been really amazing and beautiful is um, schools, libraries, therapist office, nonprofits um, are purchasing these books to be a part of their collections and available for students. Um, I've heard of numerous teachers across the country using these books um, with their students to start these important conversations. I just got off the phone with um, an executive director of a nonprofit that has our, our books a part of their, their library, uh, working with kids. Um, so they've spread really far and wide. And our hope is, is to empower these educators with more tools to, to facilitate activities and discussions around the topics that our books address. Do you have any, uh, and again, totally selfish, <laughs> totally selfish interest here. Do you have any on um, a kid's, I don't know how I would phrase it, but a kid's book about uh, being from an immigrant family or from a Muslim immigrant family or any of those experiences? Because those are pretty, those can be pretty interesting experiences for sure. Yeah. So we have a kid's book about immigration. Um, uh, but I love the idea of telling first person stories about the immigrant experience, which feels like a fundamentally different conversation. And for us, we love going niche. We love going into very specific communities, telling their stories, um, and not trying to think of everything broadly, knowing like it's really about representation, getting to represent those stories, not just for those owned communities but for folks to be able to see and understand those communities who are outside of them yeah i think that would be something there's so many stories within micro communities where folks come into a situation and and really as a child i think it's more trauma than anything else trying to navigate different worlds and trying to understand where you fall in the scheme of different values and i think as parents you know when we have the bandwidth and the time, then we're very patient with that. We have those conversations, but so many pa- parents don't have bandwidth, right? They're yeah. exhausted. They're tired. It's hard to have these convos. So if they had an easy resource, you know, like what you're doing, I think it would be so helpful for, for all of them. Well, I love this. I love the concept. I love the books. I'm going to check out more than just a kid's book about racism for sure, because I think this is so important. And I really thank you for taking time out to join us today. If anybody listening or watching today wants to connect with you, with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, the best way, um, a kidsbookabout.com is where all the books are available. Um, there's an email sheet that they can reach out to us as our company. If folks want to email me directly, Jelani at a kidsbookabout.com. I love direct pitches and personal emails and thoughts and feedback on our books. Fantastic. Well, keep up the great work. And I can't wait to check all these out. I think it's such important work for our times, especially and for everybody else. Thank you for watching this episode of Superwomen Wellness. Remember, we're on Apple iTunes and Spotify as well. Don't forget to rate and review it and share it with your friends. I will see you guys next time.